Question. How many times should a, a naughty student be sent by the teacher to the principal's office before the student is expelled from school? Three, five, or ten. Got to pick one. Three, five, or ten. Raise, a, raise your hand. Three, three times before expelled, five times, or ten. Who says three? Woo! You hard guys. All right, five, ten, softies. All right, all right. Most of you were, I would say 40% of you were five, and then the rest was in between. Um, how many times when you watch a new Netflix movie, you've never seen it before, it's highly rated, you're excited about it, um, you, you turn it on, you start watching it, how many times, well, in, in that movie, in the script, does an actor, like a character, spew vulgarity on the scene that fills your living room? How many words are you going to hear before you turn it off? I won't talk about numbers. We're all maybe at different uh, thresholds there. How about this one? How many times does your neighbor's dog poop in your yard before you say something to your neighbor about it. Okay, those are all reasonable questions that have reasonable answers. Our, our answers might differ, but there, our answers have reason behind them. They're reasonable, okay? How about this? How many times should you forgive someone who keeps sinning against you? Is there a limit to forgiveness? Okay, now, that's a reasonable question, but I have a warning for you. The answer is unreasonable. Jesus gives us an answer to that question that the disciple Peter asks him this morning, and, and it's unreasonable. It's just so divine. It doesn't, it doesn't fit in here, and so I want to read you Jesus' answer to Peter, who asked him, "How many is there a limit to forgiveness? And this is Jesus' answer in the, in the uh, form of a parable. And this is sometimes called the parable of the unmerciful servant. Here we go. Then Peter came to him, to Jesus, and asked, Lord, how, many, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Quick math. 420, night tonight something. Therefore, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell before his master and begged him, Please, be patient with me, and I will pay it all. All, how much? Millions of dollars? Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when that man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him eh, a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. 
When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And then Jesus, this is Jesus' summary statement. Now we're out of the parable. This is just Jesus' teaching now. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. So Peter wanted limited forgiveness. Limited forgiveness. If a person is addicted too many years, if a person has broken too many promises, if a person has charged way too much debt on the credit cards, if a person has disappointed and disrespected too many superiors, if a person has excused themselves at church from volunteering too many times, if a person has faked it and told too many lies, that's it. No forgiveness for you. This is what, this is what Peter is saying. Lord, how many times? How many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? Up to seven times? Um, it, Peter actually came up with that number from somewhere. Um, that number, that, that, uh, and Peter said seven. Um, he's actually being very nice. He's being very generous with that because in Peter's time, there were Jewish rabbis who were adding rules to the Old Testament, all kinds of rules. Jesus had to deal with these guys all the time. Um, but one of the rules that these Jewish rabbis added was if someone sins against you three or at the most four times, the same person, the same sin, that's it. After the fourth time, done. No more grace, no more forgiveness, you're done. They're adding that rule of the Old Testament. That's not God's rule, that's their rule. And Peter's saying, you know, I'm a lot nicer than those guys. I'll go to seven. That's what he's, that's what he's approaching Jesus with. Like, hey, Jesus, right? How about me? I'm better than the rabbis. How about up to seven times? And Jesus' answer in his parable Seventy times seven? The rest of the scriptures won't let us say that that's a literal number, right? Jesus' very point in the parable is this. Y'all, there's, there's an exponential difference between what you want to naturally do in limiting forgiveness, and there's an exponential difference between that and how I, as Jesus, forgive. That's Jesus' point. 70 times 7. He doesn't even say a number because the number doesn't matter. It's the ex exponential difference that matters. And man, I think that's a good thing for Peter. What if, what if Jesus had applied Peter's metrics, Peter's math for forgiveness? What if he had applied that to Peter? and limited his forgiveness to Peter to seven sins. Yeah, uh, sorry, P that's it, Peter. 
I gave you seven chances and you blew it. Uh, Peter, I mean, I, 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 Peter, my disciples are just at a higher level. You cannot be going around sinning all the time. Peter, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to represent me and you're going to lead my church, you cannot sin more than seven times. That's it. You blew it. You're done. Said Jesus never to Peter. But instead, Jesus applied his exponential forgiveness to this disciple who was a sinner and a repeated offender. As a matter of fact, some of you who know your Bibles and your veteran Christians probably know the story. Remember the story about Peter denying Jesus? How many times? Three times. Not just once and then, ooh, ooh, that was not right. Mm -mm. Calling down curses from heaven, denying that he ever knew Jesus, not once, not twice, three times in the courtyard, and Jesus had even warned him that he would do it. Now, he had probably sinned more than four times before that. Let's just say it was four, and that's all. Sorry, Lord, but it's, you know, I'm pretending. All right, Peter sinned only four times, and then those three. That's it, you're done, Peter. But instead, right, if, if you know that Bible story, if you don't, I'll, I'll teach it to you later. But, but then Jesus, after he rose from the dead, remember he came back to Peter and asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? How many times did he ask him that? Jesus is going back to Peter's three denials and allowing him three times to confess his faith and say, Jesus, I truly love you. I'm sorry, I repent. I, I love you. And then, that, that, that could be all. That would be great. But Jesus isn't doing the math. He doesn't stop at three. But he applies his exponential forgiveness, and he says to Peter, Peter, I, I forgive you. I reinstate. As a matter of fact, I'm going to, I, you're going to be a leader in my church, Peter. You denied me three times. You were going to preach at Pentecost uh, in Acts chapter 2. And you, you who sinned those three times and denied me three times, you're going to preach at Pentecost. And because you're preaching, how many people are saved that day? Three thousand. And Peter, th that's exponential grace from God, isn't it? He doesn't just put Peter back in a corner and say, ah, you blew it. I don't want people talking to you anymore. But he highlights sinners who are his followers to do his work. And then, not only that, but Peter wrote two books of the Bible. Guess what they're called? Yeah. First Peter and Second Peter. He also was a main character in another book of the Bible, the book of Acts. And he also was maybe co-wrote, but at least coached Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, and Mark was a disciple of Peter. Some total, this disciple who sinned those three, he denied Jesus three times. Know how many words are in those books of the Bible, roughly? 30,000. See the exponential grace of Jesus when you let him down? And he says, oh yeah, you want to see this? I love you so much, I'm going to exponentially forgive and bless you so that that is just a dot on the radar. 
and you're going to serve me with that grace and forgiveness. So Peter wanted to limit forgiveness with his, with his own responsible math, but later he needed, he needed God's reckless math of unlimited forgiveness. And it applied to him as he followed him. Um, I was thinking about this as studying this. Why? Peter knew his Old Testament. Peter was, Peter was smart. He knew the word. Why would he try to limit forgiveness? He knew the Old Testament verses. As far as the East is from the West, so far as God right, removed our sins from us. And Peter knew these things. You and I know them. And yet Peter wanted to, to limit God's forgiveness anyway. I would say this. Um, why didn't he understand God's exponential forgiveness? Because he fell into the same trap that you and I do, and here it is. We tend to apply different standards to others than the standards we hold ourselves to. I'm just going to give you two areas, okay? And don't y'all pretend that this isn't true. I know it's true. Two areas that you apply different standards to other people, texting and parking. All right, let's start with the easy one, parking. You're driving into H-E-B, it's New Year's Eve. You're like, oh, a, why are all the idiots here on New Year's Eve and not letting me park in my space? And you're, you drive around looking for a close space, thinking there'll be one, even though there's not. But, you, right, you're fighting for that closest parking space as possible, and all these people are getting in your way, and you're judging them. You're like, you're bad people because you're in my parking spot. And then you find an open spot close to this door, and you bark in it. And guess what someone else is thinking of you? <laughs> you took my parking spot. You have a double standard, right? You don't want someone else to park in that spot because that's mean if they do that. But you're okay if you park there, and then you're not mean. That's a double standard, folks. It applies also to texting. Right? When people text me, I'm like, yeah, I'll get back to you. But when I text you, what do I expect? An immediate response, you sinners. Okay? So, right? Isn't that, I'm just, what? We, we don't apply consistent standards to other people and to ourselves. We hold ourselves to different standards. Um, we do that because forgiveness is difficult. And here's why it's difficult. Forgiveness is difficult because it's not natural. You will not find a class at Austin Community College about forgiveness because it's not, you can't scientifically research it and you can't put it in a box and it's, it's not medical, it's not scientific. And you're not going to find a class about forgiveness. We, it's, it's beyond that. A dog is not going to stop as that dog is chasing a squirrel. Stop mid-chase and say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I am so sorry. I should not be chasing you right now. That doesn't happen. Forgiveness is not, it's not natural, right? It's not, it doesn't come with instincts. It's not natural. Um, it's beyond human comprehension and ability. And yet, this is what I find amazing. Even though it's beyond 
our comprehension. So it's, it's out there, and I can't, on my own, I can't grab it. I can't understand it. I can't control it. It's not within my natural ability. It's not within a dog's natural ability or instinct to stop from chasing squirrels. It's not within my natural ability instinct to, to, for, to be nice to people who park in my spot and to have mercy on people who don't text me back. It's not natural. I don't have the ability on my own. Even though because of all that, it, it amazes me that Jesus still, in this parable, condemns us for our unforgiveness. You can't get away from it. He says it right here. Um, in, the, in the words of the, uh, of, the, of the supervisor to his servant, Matthew chapter 18, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Have you been there? Unforgiveness? Maybe you're there now. There's days that you're ready to forgive and days you aren't. You're waiting for that person to show some kind of remorse. You're waiting for that person to show some kind of repentance or... or or pay back some retribution. And, and to be honest, if you look in your heart, what you attach to that is that you're also wanting revenge. You're wanting that person to hurt because they hurt you. We're also good at keeping mental lists. And we say that we've forgiven people, and we say that we've moved on, but that mental list is right there, and it's so easy to recall it when we need to ha have help in our argument to prove our point that they are so bad. All of a sudden, those things that they've done, which we said we forgave, now they're coming up in conversation. If that happens, you have not forgiven them. So we live in this unforgiveness, this double standard. And I'm just going to say this clearly. You cannot say that you love Jesus and keep a record of wrongs. They don't go to, the Bible says love, 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. So if you say Jesus, you say you love Jesus, then you cannot keep a re you cannot live in unforgiveness. If you live in unforgiveness, you better ask yourself how much you really love Jesus. Limit your forgiveness and Jesus compares you to that servant, that unmerciful servant. He says you deserve to go to God's prison. And we say, come on, Jesus. Forgiveness isn't easy. And he says, tell me about it. 
Jesus stepped out of perfect paradise, eternally existing in heaven, in perfect harmony with the Father and the Spirit and the angels, wonderful in the clouds, perfect bliss. And he willingly left that scene to step into this world of unforgiveness and ungrace and hate and violence and unkindness and selfishness and double standards. And not only that, but not, not only did he choose to live here, but then Jesus said to you, I'm, I came here so that I could become your unforgiveness for you. I came here to sit, not just to, to, to live here like a nice guy, but I came to save you from your unforgiveness. Here, I'll take it. I'll take your unforgiveness. I, I'll handle it. And then Jesus became the victim of your unforgiveness when he died on the cross. Of all the unforgiveness in the world, Jesus became that victim, and it was on his shoulders and in his blood, and his blood was shed, and he became the prisoner. He became the unmerciful servant in your place. And he paid the price that the unmerciful servant was demanded to pay. Life in prison until the debt is paid. And Jesus paid your debt with his blood. And then he rose from the dead to give you a new life, to give you more than a few millions of dollars, and to say to you exponentially, I forgive you. Now go and sin no more. And go give that forgiveness that I give you, go give it to others. And Jesus forgives your unforgiveness. Amen? Amen. I'm going to give you a one sent, maybe two sentences, maybe three or seven, uh, little footnote here. And it's a separate sermon all in itself, and I don't want to keep you till 1130. So I'm just going to say this right here. So listen carefully. There's forgiveness and there's dealing with a person's bad behavior outside of the spiritual forgiveness, which can be punishment or discipline. Those two coexist. And actually, you should not have one without the other. So you can be a Christian, you can forgive any sin, big or small. And you can also hold that person accountable for their bad behavior so that they don't commit that sin again, especially if it's a repeated one, and be a Christian who does that. You can do it in love, and right? So there's accountability, there's consequences. Everything from our legal system to uh, um, not allowing some abusive person to, to partake in family events or live in your home. All right, it's, it's all over the place, but I want you to hear me loud and clear. Don't go home saying, well, God says I have to forgive, and so I can't, I can't stand up to the bully. Okay? You can forgive the bully and defend yourself. Nodding? Okay? So come for the other sermon on how those connect. But, but, but it always involves, just remember this, they always go together. Full forgiveness and responsibility. Not one without the other. Okay, I'm going to end by telling you a story about how the power of forgiveness. And I know you're going to find, your, you're going to find yourself in the story. I did a few times. 
Rachel is quiet and an introvert and really didn't say a lot in her small group until the topic of forgiveness came up. And she told her story with tears. She had married a pastor and they fell in love and had a great life until she discovered that he had a dark side. He was attracted to X-rated materials. He was a very beloved, very known pastor, very respected nationally. He would go be a speaker at, at public events at not just churches, but, but rallies and retreats. And when he went there, he would solicit ladies of the street. She found out about it, all that. Sometimes he asked her for forgiveness when she confronted him, sometimes he did not. Eventually, he left her for another woman named Julie. She tried to give Julie some heads up about this behavior, and Julie just thought it was sour grapes and told her to get away. The hard part in that was that the people at the church where her, her husband was the pastor and, and, and he left her for another woman, they all blamed her because they didn't know his dark side. And so she had to live with this burden of being blamed and being the one at fault for, for this man that she knew to be a very dark man and no one else knew. And she was graceful enough to not make that public. She drifted from the church and from God. How could God allow this to happen, especially through a pastor and her husband? She realized over the course of years that she was becoming a more bitter and bitter woman and realized that the poison of unforgiveness was starting to metastasize in her spiritual soul. And she heard her own words as she was teaching her children a spirit of ungrace and unforgiveness toward others because of the gravity of the unforgiveness in her that was pulling her down. And she finally was brave enough to, to take it to the Lord in prayer, to think very hard about it, to examine, to test herself, and get on the phone and call her ex-husband and say, I just want you to know I forgive you for everything that you've done to me, and I forgive Julie, too, the new wife. He laughed and slammed the phone down. Very hard for her to take. Months went by, and Rachel received a desperate, hysteric phone call from Julie the new wife. Her husband, the same man, had been arrested for soliciting ladies while he was on a, a public speaking trip. Julie said, I am so sorry. I never believed you. I, I don't know why I didn't. I guess I didn't want to believe you. I thought you were the cruelest person ever. But now that this has happened, I remember your phone call, 
and I remember your bravery for forgiving him and for forgiving me. And I thought, if there's a person who could do that, if there's anyone who could do that, then maybe she could understand how I feel. She could understand me. Rachel invited her over to her place, and they spent the evening together, Rachel and Julie, crying tears of hurt and betrayal and pain, speaking of forgiveness, Rachel sharing her faith, forgiving Julie again. Those two ladies went back to that church where that man had been, to those people who had hurt Rachel by their false assumptions, and they went back and they showed grace and mercy to that church and, and, and turned that community around from the hurt that that pastor had caused to that congregation, and they became not positional, not by name, but influential spiritual leaders in that church just by their spirit of grace and forgiveness. And Julie said later, she told Rachel, that night that I was at your place and we were visiting about pain and betrayal and forgiveness, I believe was the first moment that I believed in Jesus Christ. See, there's a reason that forgive contains the word give. It's God's gift to you. and to others. Amen?